From Like to Know It, this is Influencer Radio, a show about the influencer industry. This season, we sit down with some of the world's most successful influencers to unpack their unique life adventures and the digital businesses they built. I'm your host, Amber Vinsbox. Jennifer Lake's content is far from ordinary. By day, she's the senior vice president of Chicago-based PR firm Zapwater Communications, And when she's not strategizing content for brands or jet setting for a hotel's grand opening, Jen is best known for her bright, eccentric, and creative imagery. Whether it be dressing in a bright pink skirt in front of a color-coordinated mosaic tile wall or donning a ball gown standing in a jet engine for the United Airlines campaign, Jen defines and pushes creative limits on a daily basis and does it all with professionalism and class. Today, we are so overjoyed to have her here with us to discuss the story behind Style Charade and what influence means to her. Thank you for being here, Jen. Oh my gosh, what an intro. Like, that's the nicest thing anyone could ever say about me. Like, I wish I could have that every morning. It would, like, pump me up. Well, Jen, it's So thank true. you, Amber. <laughs> Subscribe. You can play it over and oh, over. Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, I feel like or that wouldn't be... Music. People would be worried about me if I kept listening to my intro. They'd be like, calm down, girl. <laughs> Stop listening to your, to your episode. But Jen, where did you grow up? Oh, yeah. So I'm a lifelong Chicagoan. I love the city. Like, I feel like the city has so much vibrance. It has great culinary. It has great people. It has that Midwest hospitality. Um, but I actually grew up outside of the city in the suburbs. I feel like when you're a Chicagoan, you have to be specific and say, like, I'm not from the city itself. I'm from the suburbs. Um, so I grew up in a small suburb called Glenview. Glenview. Yeah. Okay. Is Glenview big like Chicago or is it very suburban? Very suburban. Yeah, it's in the North Shore side of the city, so it's close to the lake, and it, it's just smaller. It's quaint. It's very charming. So you have, like, access to the city, but you get to live um, in a house with a nice size closet. <laughs> exactly, which was key to me growing up even. So now I miss my big closet, my, my small condo closet, but that's okay. What did your parents do in the city? Both of my parents were in education. My mom was a preschool teacher, and my dad was a principal of schools when I was growing up. Um, which is, yeah, very sweet. Was he the principal at your school? <laughs> oh, gosh, thank goodness, no. I feel like I was worried about going to the principal's office, period. But if my dad was the principal, I think I would be even more nervous. Um, and then he grew to be the superintendent of a school district. And education just, like, runs in my blood for my family. So did you ever think that that was going to be your path? No. Oh, gosh. I knew early on that it was not the right path for me. My dad was really, really big when I was younger on teaching me about like how you're wired and, you know, what your Myers-Briggs is like just your dad's real ahead. Oh, my gosh. He he was really ahead. I think I went into my first grade class and was like, I'm an ENFP, Myers-Briggs. And my teacher was like, what is wrong with this child? And it's actually amazing, <laughs> though. Can you imagine if you knew that from, oh my goodness. I mean, from grade one? Yeah, so. I really, really like encourage so many people to take that test. Um, but yeah, so I knew from a very early age. Age. Like I wasn't meant to be in education, that I should probably do like a more communications focused career. Um, so yeah. It so what does an ENFP mean? Yeah. So you're an extrovert. So you get just like today, like you get just energy from people. I love being around people and is in, intuition basically. So I kind of go with my gut. Um, F is feeler. So I think with my heart before my head, which can get me in trouble sometimes. And um, I'm a P, which is basically I like to explore all options before making a decision, which is horrible for dinner. Um, you know, a menu, I just sit there forever trying to figure out what to eat. What do ENFPs do if they don't do education? Oh, gosh. It really it really varies, but you really are designed to work with people. You need to be in a team. You love to be around other energies in a room. You just you can't be in a cubicle all alone. 
Okay. So it sounds like your parents really poured into you despite having, you know, busy careers of their own with other people's children. Uh, were you an only child? Were you a first child? Oh my gosh. It's so funny you mentioned that because I'm a big believer in birth order. Like, I don't know if Birdie is like the same way of being, you know, I'm a baby she's actually got a, like, though. A first child thing she's definitely, I yeah. feel like she's like meant to be a firstborn. Same thing. I'm a baby. I'm the baby of the family. And I had an older brother or I do have an older brother, John, and we're super close. And he just is definitely a firstborn. Like he kind of paved the way, made all the mistakes. And then I kind of got away with more, which is exciting. <laughs> So something I've heard you talk about before, just like as a professional is EQ versus IQ. Mm -hmm. And where did you learn about that? Or how have you seen that coming into play lately? I mean, emotional intelligence. Yeah. yeah. I just think, you know, especially in public relations, the career that I chose full time, being able to read a room and really just, um, you know, survey your, um, just like who you're around is so critical to making like thoughtful decisions. Um, and it's just really been a good guiding force for me. I like having a gut. I like having that discernment, um, and really, really trusting my heart on people and decisions first. Um, I get, it all goes back to that feeler versus thinker. Like I like, like, like having my, my gut, you know, make a call. And so maybe I jumped ahead a little bit, actually. I got all excited. So <laughs> so you grew up outside of Chicago. You went to a somewhat small school. Yeah, it was pretty big. It was a pretty big, was a big suburban school. high school. Yeah. Okay. And then did you work in high school? Did you... What, what was like life like for Jen? Yeah, I started working as soon as I could. Um, not just because my parents were like, you know, you need to make money. It wasn't like that. I just really was wired to just start in the workforce. So from babysitting at a young age to being a lifeguard when I got a little bit older, which was the best choice ever. Like, I highly recommend being a lifeguard. It's fun. You're in the sun with sunscreen mm -hmm. and really fun people. Um, and then, yeah, just I really have always just loved working. I live to work. And then where did you go to college? So I went to a small liberal arts college called Valparaiso University. Um, it's in Indiana, and they have an incredible public relations program. It's one of the reasons I chose them, because day one, I knew I wanted to be a publicist. Uh, so it's just an incredible school. I really made an amazing choice uh, by going there, and I, I highly recommend it to anyone. So how did you know about being a publicist? And the reason I asked this is there's so many careers that I had no idea existed when I was in school. I knew, like, doctors, lawyers, models, magazine editor, like, I don't know, to me, those were like, I guess, obvious things that seemed like, okay, you pick one of, not that those were the only four, but like some obvious things, but publicists, I actually didn't know they existed. So how did you know this? Oh, this goes back to like figuring out my communications focused career. Um, you know, just talking with my dad about that and thinking about college. I was like, I know communications, it's a wide landscape. Like dad walked me through a little bit about what's out there. And so he told me about marketing and advertising and then public relations. And my brother actually had interned on a sports team in the public relations department. Mm. So I really had a front row seat to understanding the logistics of a day-to-day -day from an intern perspective and just how it can transform a brand. So I after looking at marketing and advertising, I thought those were such cool careers, but I knew I wanted to be part of the brand side of earning media coverage and just growing a brand and making them profitable. And you decided to start a blog at what point? <laughs> oh, gosh. So 2008, I launched a bridal blog called Third Coast Bride. Because Third Coast is Chicago. Yep. You're, yep. Okay. Oh, gosh. I'm so glad you know that. Um, we're like the second city mostly, <laughs> okay. but I was like, oh, Third Coast. I feel like that's yeah. cuter and more clever. But I did it till uh, 2010 when my husband and I got married and I documented our wedding planning Wait, process. Did, it, did this start when you were engaged or did you have a wedding blog oh, before? 
Great question. When I got engaged. Okay. Yes, that would be so, yeah, I would have, I, actually, you know what, I probably, I wouldn't be, have been surprised if I had done that. But yeah, I just started to document it for friends and family and to show, you know, how we were planning. And I started to see this blog grow. And then 2011 hit and I was like, I'm married now. I don't want to talk about weddings anymore. So I didn't really build a sustainable brand at the time, but I loved the idea of blogging and seeing, you know, how to do it. Yeah. Did you just close the blog? You just kind of stopped writing on it one day? Yep. I did like the goodbye letter, you know, that farewell letter that you kind of dread writing and always have in the back of your mind. And I I just stopped and waited a few years, Um, but I still had that blogging bug. I wanted to keep doing it. So yeah, in 2015, I launched Style Charade after just missing doing it. But I took a year to actually plan it this time around so I could sustain it, build a sustainable business model, um, and do something that I knew it would last. So how do you plan the business of a blog? Like, What are the things that you sat down and considered over the course of this year before you set out? Yeah, for me, because I have a full-time job and had a full-time job, I knew time was of the essence, that time was the most precious and valuable thing and tool that I had at the time and still do. And so I really thought from a business standpoint, how am I going to divide my time? Um, How am I going to build a brand that will last? So thinking through how will an individual post look? What are my, uh, you know, profit, you know, and revenue channels going to be? And how do I diversify my business so that I'm not just a one trick pony, that I'm only known for Instagram or only known for a blog, that I really have a multi-platform business that can grow and evolve and that I'm not relying on just one channel to be my business. Well, that's very savvy, Jen, because (laughs) I mean, thinking about diversification before you even really jump back in, obviously you had a very unique perspective working on the brand side so you went to school, you knew PR was mm-hmm. your, was your focus, and then did you work through school? Did you, like where how did you end up at Zapwater? Yeah, so I interned every single summer and actually holiday break at the same public relations agency in the suburbs of Chicago and got an offer with that firm my senior year, my first semester. So I knew I'm I'm set, like I can graduate and I can do this and joined the firm and loved it ultimately transitioned to a different agency that focused on fashion, beauty, and lifestyle and became the vice president there by 26. Um, And at that time, um, helped grow a team of just me and the agency president. We grew to 12 people. And I caught the attention of the president of Zapwater and he made me an offer I couldn't refuse. That's, I mean, that's a really quick rise to like a VP of an organization. It was nuts. Like I still pinch myself, but at the same time, it took so much work. It took so much blood, sweat, and tears to get to that place. It wasn't easy, um, but it it was worth the journey. How were you different than everybody else? Because, I mean, I'm assuming that there's a lot of other young people working in this organization. What were you doing that provided, you know, earned you these opportunities? Yeah, I think it's just, I go back to just working smarter, not harder, that you know, I knew I had to work harder than everyone else. And by that, I don't mean being competitive or stepping over someone or burning bridges to get to the top. Um, that's not how I run my business or like who I want to be as a person or who I think I am as a person. I think it just was, you know, getting up before my boss got to the office, staying as late um, as possible until my boss left, always going above and beyond and thinking for my team and for my boss and, and just really trying to be a team player, but just rising above. And then making time, you know, on my side, just making sure I was being strategic with it, uh, using my hours wisely, but again, just working diligently, no matter how many hours it took to do the job and do it as best that anyone could possibly do. Something that you've said that stood out to me is thinking for your boss and like looking around those corners. 
do you think that that was different than the way everyone else in the organization was approaching it? Yes. Um, I think that every organization, every president, and even yourself, you have blind spots. Um, It's not something we like to talk about, but it happens. And sometimes you need a few people in an organization, usually the whole team, to tell you and to speak truth, even when it's tough to hear. But beyond that, I think it's being solutions-oriented. For me, it was just not action-reaction. It was providing, you know, identifying a problem, but going to my team and or my boss with a solution or giving multiple solutions so that we could figure it out together, but have a starting point of conversation. So blind spots are hard to find, but you have to, and you have to keep looking for them because they keep coming around the corner when you're not expecting it. So you've worked in PR for a very long time. What was it like when you first started and then what's changed for the way that you guys operate today? It's changed drastically. I think the influencer marketing space specifically has completely changed the game. Before I was, you know, mailing press releases out to media and like in the mail, like dropping it in the mail. Oh yes. I had like a billion paper cuts from just constantly sending hundreds of press (laughs) releases a day to as many people as who would listen or faxing, you know, about events, you know, to 20 news outlets. And now it's completely different. Um, Instead of earned media coverage and getting press placements and doing events, influencer marketing and social media have completely transformed the game. And now our team is focused on that more than ever, often more than even uh, the media relations side of things. With your brands, when they come in, I would assume that they have an idea of what PR success looks like, and Mm. you probably have to help them reform that answer. Mm. Um, What do you oftentimes find yourself teaching new brands that are starting to use PR? It's such a good question. I think identifying success, to your point, is one of the most important things that a brand can do up front. You know, everyone has an objective for a campaign, for their business and everything, but identifying what success looks like to, you know, their team is is critical. You know, when clients come to us, that's the first question we ask. We have to start with the why. Why are you doing this? And what is success going to look like down the road? And often, you know, they have a roadmap in mind, but they don't know truly, truly how to get there. But understanding that endpoint, as you know, is is a huge part of the process. Um, so it's just about the objective. You know, is it a qualitative measurement? Is it a quantitative measurement? Not to get into too many specifics, but, you know, are you really just trying to grow brand awareness or are you trying to increase sales? Are you trying to, you know, reach a specific target audience? All those questions are critical in the upfront. Um, But yeah, identifying success to your point is without question the number one thing everyone should do when they're building a brand. And then on, so for the influencer side now today, that's like what you guys are, you know, probably likely squarely focused on. Mm -hmm. What kind of like tools are you using? How are you, I think so many influencers listening would love to know from a brand's perspective and from someone who's writing the checks, what are those things that you're looking for as you are casting influencers, as you're evaluating the compensation for these influencers? Mm -hmm. Crack that open for us. Yeah. So for us, it's really identifying, again, the objective. I think for influencers, sometimes they see a campaign that we cast and think, why wasn't I picked? I was perfect for that. It was, you know, an affordable beauty campaign at, you know, Walgreens. And I would have been amazing for that. And we have to say there are so many layers that go behind casting, age, demographic, um, you know, what city you live in. Often it's based on what city you're located in. Um, But 
I would say right now for our brands, the number one thing they're looking at when they're looking at their marketing budgets and when they're looking at casting, they're looking at authenticity. They are leveraging our agency tools to see are people buying followers? Are they paying for bots? Um, are they buying engagement? Which we know is happening, um, but I think influencers aren't really, really understanding that the, the veil is coming off. We have access to all this data that shows us within a millisecond what someone's doing. And it's expensive. Those tools right now are super expensive. But because of competition, those prices are soon going to come down. And it won't have to be just a brand paying you know thousands and thousands of dollars a month to see these types of graphs and charts and percentages. Everyone will have access to it. So they can't as brands start to increase their marketing budgets, they can't afford to be wasting dollars on influence that doesn't exist. So we are vetting every single person we cast on campaigns to say, have they you know, bought followers? Are they buying bots? Are they faking engagement? Because our, our clients can't afford it. And frankly, we should be fired if we're casting people that are doing it because it's just, it's not okay. And it's, it's not going to be okay coming up when the brands have more access to even more tools. What do you think influencers would be most surprised to hear that you know about them? I think it's, I hate to keep going back to the topic. I think it really is the fake following. Um, I think it's a conversation that influencers are like really, really having. People are getting, you know, sad about the algorithm or feeling like they're not growing fast enough. And I just always encourage people that we know, the brands know, they're getting savvier than ever and um, it's, it's going to come to light. So, you know, yeah. Well, you know, with Reward Style, of course, our brands are using this historical retail performance data in order to cast. And so, you know, again, I think that the reason that you guys and the reward style is winning big budgets for this stuff is the ability to cast with confidence. And Mm so understanding a true ROI, and of course you can't buy sales. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's not like you're going to go buy buy from your own campaign to the volume that a brand is expecting. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think that you're right. You know, we, we do see that as well. And the reason I dig into this is because I think you're, you have a very unique perspective in that you are a wildly successful influencer, but you also are wildly successful in your professional career as a, as a PR. And so that lens with which you approach your influencer business is really quite different and people have a lot to learn from you. So Today, with your influencer business, like how do you see that? How do you how do you approach it? Do you think of it as something that this is like part time? It's fun. I do it to know what's happening. Or do you approach it as like, you know, I post X times a week, and my goal is to make this much money. What? How do you approach your business? Yeah, I, I do. I view it just like you said, like a business. I really, really do. And I love having a full time job. I think I always will. In the wise words of Justin Bieber, like never say never. You never <laughs> quite know what you'll do, but. I love having a full-time job, and I think you can still be a successful blogger and a tastemaker and an influencer and do both well. Um, I'm, I'm a big proponent of that. and But at the same time, I do. I treat them as different businesses, and I view them as different hats. And you know, when the public relations hat comes off you know, during the day, at night, it goes to the blogging business, and I, I, I value both greatly. How do you think that it is helping or hurting your career today? Like, how do they play together? I think because I'm cognizant of, you know, non-competes and being respectful to our existing clients. We work with such amazing travel, fashion, beauty, lifestyle consumer brands. And I have to be incredibly respectful of the brands that we're representing full-time on the public relations side. And the hard part is saying no when you get an amazing offer or amazing deal on the influencer side, but to say, I, I can't do that or I shouldn't do that. 
Um, but at the same time, I think you gain more respect from a brand when you step back and give them the why and say, this is why. It's not because I don't love your brand. It's because I have to be respectful of the clients that I represent. So it's hard to say no and not get the paycheck and not get the dollar amount or work with a brand you absolutely love, but you literally work with their competitor. Uh, but at the same time, I haven't had too many instances, and I just am very mindful of it every time a collaboration comes through. So Jen, one of the things that I've loved about you is like we were able to have this partnership even beyond you know, you being an, an influencer who uses our tools, but also what we've been able to do with you guys through your company. And something that um, you know I've heard you talk about before is just really approaching things with partnership. And that's something that our team's really been thinking a lot about is we want to be in partnership with people. We don't feel like reward style is a drop in, a, in the pan and we'll be on to the next tomorrow. Like we expect to be a generational business. This is something that, um, that we, t- we take seriously and I think with in- integrity and with mission because of that, how do you, I guess, frame that within the context of your professional life as well? I know you've mentioned to us that, you know, you have, you try to have a very high integrity with brands and and not working with competitors. Um, but how does that play out as far as from a PR perspective of like who you're casting for campaigns and, um, and who's getting these opportunities? Oh, good question. You mean in terms of the relationships that we develop? Yeah. Like, have you, have you seen that the actual like relationship is something that's important in this industry or is it just pure numbers? And it's like, they might be kind of like, a turd of a person, but, but they've got great numbers. Yeah. It, we definitely take the relationship side. So important. That's why reward style RSCon is so critical to be able to have FaceTime with brands, but also with other bloggers to be able to meet people, get to know their personalities, get to know what they're like offline as well as on. To your point, we got to work with like to know it a few times last year on incredible partnerships. I highly recommend it. Our brands are so thankful to you and they saw amazing conversion from it. And I do think that, you know, a huge part of it is the relationship side and and our brands do take very seriously working with people that are just frankly good people Um, they want to work with people that are fantastic offline as they are on and they do take those personalities very seriously and that transparency and that authenticity um, as as very important when they're casting you know relationships are important in like every single business whether you're in the energy business business, or I mean everything is a relationship business and I think that's sometimes underestimated in the influencer industry is the thought that the the way that you are a shell to your or that you have a wall between you and your followers where you're able to present the best content whereas on the other side brands and platforms and other people in the industry they're emailing with you all day they're you're actually you know something that i i would want everyone to understand as they enter the influencer industry or as they are influencers is when someone chooses you for a brand campaign they are endorsing you to their company and so they're saying i believe that this person can help me deliver my goals and and for these people on the other side of the table, they've promised something to someone. And so it's whether it's their own CMO and CEO or the company that they're working on behalf of. And so a lot of times like your performance actually to them means their bonus, them hitting their goals. And so it's more than just, I got a cool girl to do this thing. Like they have to really show up. And so they are choosing a partner more these days, I think, than even previously in influencer marketing. 
Couldn't agree more. Um, you're like, there's so many publishers out there. There's so many content creators. Even as I look at the Like to Know It fam and see all these amazing content creators, I realize I'm a drop in the bucket. And so if I get fortunate enough to work with Reward Style to be cast on a campaign with one of their valued brand partners, I better deliver. And if I don't, and if my metrics aren't good, over deliver and deliver well because you are a representation of of that team or that brand or you know that vision. And so it's so critical to show up and show up well and realize that you're very lucky for every op. Every single dollar that comes in the door matters. And there were 20,000 other women, men, publishers that wanted your spot. So earn it, earn it well, over deliver and just succeed for, for them. It's so critical. So I always think, you know, if I don't say yes, if I don't do well, there's someone waiting in the wings and that's okay. There's a big enough pie for everyone, but earn your slice. Are there things that you've seen influencers do when you've worked with them that you're like, wow, that stood out? Like that was special. Maybe they wrote you a special note or they did like, what are the things that that make somebody stand out? Because you're running tons of campaigns. True. It's the little things like thank you, you know, that we often forget um, to just say a simple thanks after a collab came over. And it could be a simple email or it can be a larger, you know, beautiful delivery of flowers or whatever it may be. I'm I'm not in it for the flowers, yeah. but I mean, <laughs> I'm definitely in it for the thank you because it is a thankless job. When you're casting campaigns, when you're, you know, building brands, you're kind of the last person on the totem pole to be thanked. So I'm really surprised how often it doesn't happen. And so I think that's why there are a few people that, that stand out that just do a simple thank you and it really goes a long way. It speaks volumes about them as a person and makes me want to work with them more and our team to work with them more. So there are a billion people that, that come to mind. So I don't know if I'm going to like call anyone out, yeah. but I will say it's crazy to think it's just the little things, the little things, because a lot of people just don't do it. You have a very specific aesthetic um, and something that's recognizable. I mean, I don't have to see, you know, your head on something to know that like this is Jen and that oh, she has created you, you've carved out a very unique space online. Did you, when you created this plan to launch, was that like day one, I'm going to have these really vivid, beautiful, bright images in front of uh, fantastic famous walls? It's so authentic to me. Yes. Like I knew from day one, it would be that because that's who I am. I love color. I love positivity. You know, most of my captions are puns or idioms. I love the puns. Oh, thanks. I hope that no one gets tired of them. Um, I just love doing it. And that's just my personality. Like it just is who I've been since I've been little. You know, my bedroom when I was a child was like the most bright pink color. Like my husband walked into my childhood room at home and was like, what in the world is this? And he's like, well, this is totally you. Of course it's colorful. Of course it looks like a Crayola box just like splattered all over your room because that's who you are. Um, And so I think the reason the channel continues to work is because it really is a reflection, true, authentic reflection of who I am and who I've always been. Um, But it took a lot of planning, obviously, with the locations and the idioms and, um, you know, the color. But if you scroll back in my feed, it's been the same since day one. Do you have the same photographer always? Like, who's involved in this? Like, who's part of your team? Obviously, this is very clearly your creative vision. But, you know, there's always somebody doing something to help. So who's around you? Sure. So my husband, he's not an Instagram husband at all. Like he is so much more than that. Um, You know, his name is Bob. He's amazing. So he does photography. He does a lot of the back end work with our accountant. Um, He's just truly 50% of the business. We're an LLC. He's a huge part of the company, even though he's not a front facing part of the company by choice. And we also have um, decided to work with managers as of late. It was a really tough decision to give up that control. Um, and that percentage of your business, but it was worth it. Um, 
time was precious and I knew they would do a good job. So we started to work with a management company that has done a superb job. And then that's it. We don't have any assistants. We've never had any interns. Um, we have started to work with a few photographers when I'm in a different city or if there's a large campaign. So um, that's been amazing, um, but very rarely. Um, so it's just me do and my you, husband. Do you like it that way? Do you want to grow a team? Yeah, I think it's funny. I was having a conversation with someone this morning at the conference um, because there's a great session that's taking place here called um, How to Build a Team. And I turned to someone and I said, I don't know if I can do it because of trust. Um, You know, I'd like to believe that I'm a very trustworthy person, but I struggle with it. I struggle with opening, you know, the doors to your analytics, to money, to everything. But there's going to come a time where it's going to have to happen. I'm just not there yet, but I know we'll scale at some point. So the dream is is to grow beyond, or will you always be the face of Style Charade? Gosh, hopefully it'll grow beyond, because no one wants to see my face every day, all day. Like, it has to be more than just me, right? So I think it'll ultimately be, um, it'll be about more verticals, more things, but I'll hopefully always be, like, the main face, but hopefully we can bring in some more personalities, including my husband. I hope he shows up more in the, oh, in the content. What are, like, the tips and tricks that you have learned lately that you're applying to your business and seeing some sort of improvement? Oh, gosh. I think posting more to the Like to Know It app, like unique content, not that you can't find anywhere else. I need to do it more and I need to do it better, but I know it works Um, through my monthly reports for what I see. I think the more you post, the more you see the return and people are using it. And so there's no way you can't repurpose content that you posted two weeks ago to Instagram that doesn't feel fresh and you're worried the algorithm won't support you there. You can in the app and people are going to see it if they follow you. And, you know, there's no algorithm pushing me down someplace. It really is available to those who want to find it. And so I've seen that great success with that along with Instagram stories and swipe ups. I'm excited that changes are coming there. I'm like just incredibly excited. You know, I just watched the analytics and people love stories as we know. So that swipe up feature is great. And the like to know it app has been monumental for our business. And for everybody listening, this will be live by the time that this podcast is loaded into um, the iTunes store and Spotify and everywhere else that you can find it. But, you know, swipe ups have been a great new tool for influencers. And there's clearly a lot of traffic and eyeballs there. Yeah. Not to say that there's more or less than other channels that our influencers have developed, but it's a, it's a healthy bit. And what mm-hmm. we have found is that people on these channels, someone's asking what your dress is, but they're not in the mode of shopping often in that moment. And so they'll screenshot it or they'll try and come back to it later. And so the new swipe up feature that Jen's mentioning is actually, if you are a like to know it user, whenever you swipe up on something that Jen is showing you, maybe it's her dress, for example, it'll just go ahead and save that into the app for you so that you can find it later. You can have it emailed to your inbox. So you can continue to go on as usual. But if you are someone who has downloaded the like to know it app, it'll just be much easier for you to get back to later. And I I agree with you. I think that will be a game changer for engagement and, and just to really provide a great service to your followers. It's incredible. I'm so excited that your team works so hard on that. I can't imagine the manpower, energy, and hours that went into it, but it's going to help us so much, and I plan to leverage it a lot, so stay tuned for that. Um, And the last point I want to make is just Pinterest. Um, A lot of people don't realize this, but Pinterest is my number one social media channel, and I'm proud of that because it drives great, great traffic. I love you're going to be doing more on that as well. And, you know, I'm really, really proud of that channel, and it's it's something I'm looking to grow as well as you are, and I I just, I can't say enough about how it drives eyeballs to what you want them to. So 
the goal of Pinterest for you, it sounds like, is traffic? Site traffic, although shopping, is also great. Um, but yeah, I think site traffic right now is my number one. Yeah. Any tips for somebody who's thinking about engaging or re-engaging their Pinterest? Tailwind. I, I love Tailwind. I think Tailwind is an incredible resource. Um, so it's, it's a great channel. Um, I think there's a free plan and there's like a don't kill me, Tailwind. If I got the pricing wrong, I think it's like $25 to $30 a month. My accountant can tell you. Um, but it's it's incredible. They have multiple functionalities. One can help you just pin content quickly by clicking just a quick tool, and it uploads your Pinterest, and you can save it and schedule it for later. But my favorite is called the Looper. So that the Looper continues to loop your content so that it's working smarter, not harder for you. And you can literally have hundreds of pins going out per day without touching a click of a button. It's unbelievable. It's grown my channel greatly. Um, I'm not the biggest on Pinterest, but it really transformed my business from, you know, only having 100,000, you know, unique viewers to 2.4 million. So it really, really, really works. And I have to say, Tailwind is the secret sauce. Jen, gold. Whoever <laughs> listened to the end, you just got the golden nugget. <laughs> it is like, I'm an open book. Like if I want success for everyone, I have to say, if you want Pinterest success, it isn't just about clicking the most content, saving the most amount of pins, following the right people. It is about working smarter, and Tailwind has done that for me. Jen, you are so generous always in offering your advice and your support of other influencers and other brands, and I think your authenticity and integrity about how you approach all of those things um, is unique, and it stands out, and it's something we're really grateful for. How can we, as listeners, support you? Oh, gosh. Okay, well, follow me on the Like to Know It app so you can find all of those amazing resources that Amber was talking about, the swipe ups and just original content. Um, I would love follow on Instagram at, at Jennifer Lake, read the blog, stylesherry.com, and we have some exciting announcements coming up. I'm really trying to pivot and evolve the business, so there'll be a lot more to come. Is there anything coming soon you can tease for us? <laughs> yeah, so we're going to be buying a home. We've lived. Congrats. Thanks. I'm excited. We've lived in the same condo for 11 years in Chicago. So we're tripling the size of our space, starting from I mean, scratch. Praise hands. I, everyone, you know, say a blessing for us. We're going to need all the good vibes because we are not bringing a single piece of furniture with us from our, our current place. We're starting from scratch oh with the designer. God, that's a dream. So LTK Home, get ready because I'm going to be all over that channel trying to get some eyeballs. Oh, I love it. Well, <laughs> cheers, Jen. I'm glad we, we've got our rosé here yes, to do rose so. All but, day. but we're so proud for you and, and thank you for sharing all your tips. I mean, these are the inside secrets from influencers are something that you know, obviously I'm so proud to be able to give people access through that through here, but unless you have direct access to a top influencer, that's like your friend from home or your best friend at church or like whatever that is, yeah. like, how are you going to find these things out? And we, we really are so grateful. So thank you for offering this to us. Oh, well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, cheers. cheers. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for listening to like to know it influencer radio. Follow Jen for her colorful third coast style, both on the street and in the home, in the Like to Know It app at Jennifer Lake. That's Jennifer with two N's. The Like to Know It app is the only place where you can go to search for products and get 100% shoppable results, all in the context of the lives of real, influential people who use those products. Search for products like trench coat, over-the-knee boots, stroller, white marble table, and get results from real people who use them. Like to know what product search gives you an incredible contextual experience that cannot be found anywhere else. Join our community by downloading the Like to Know It app on the App Store and Google Play.